And uh, good to have Madeline back. You may be seated. Thank you. Uh, Madeline's been to where now? Did you go? Pennington. Yeah, okay. Well, understood. But for the benefit of those online, we'll just say Pennington Gap. And that's uh, where the funeral was and good services, correct? Amen. And all of you out there who are viewing, I know there are many things going on in many lives. And we're going to be going to prayer after a while because God answers prayer. Can I get an amen on that? God certainly answers prayer. We read last week from Ephesians chapter 2 beginning at verse 11. I want you to go there with me tonight. We're going to look at some of the things that we've already read. And then we're going to review some truth. And then we're going to introduce some New truth, that is, to this passage. All right, Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Wherefore, based on the previous 10 verses, wherefore remember, there are some things to know and to remember, that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were passed without Christ, being aliens, that's outcasts from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having, look at it, no hope and without God in the world. But now, now, see the past was, but now in Christ Jesus, he who sometimes, once upon a time, were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Jesus Christ. We said we would take a couple of weeks to uh, completely cover this bit of Scripture. Uh, We were at one time cut off from, barricaded from God. We were, uh, as Gentiles, part of a group that was classified by the fact that we didn't have the sign of circumcision. And we were without Christ. There was no hope for people outside of the commonwealth of Israel unless they were to become proselytes and and become Israelites. And uh, then they could come to God That way, they had the signs and the symbols of the Old Testament. But now in Christ, you don't have to become a Jew. We learned that in Galatians, didn't we? You don't have to become a Jew. You don't have to follow the Jewish rituals which pointed us to Christ. But instead, we can come directly to God and praise the Lord for that. But there were those who at the time were strangers. They were outside of the commonwealth. They were strangers from the covenant and promises of God, God's promises that cannot be broken. They were without hope. What a terrible thing to be without hope. They were without, without God. But Jesus Christ brings us N-I-G-H. Nigh means near. What an important, important truth this is that we saw last week. We were once far off, separated not by miles, but by spiritual distance from God. We couldn't make our way to God. There's no way we could get there on our own. And today there is no way that a man, woman, or child can come to God on their own. They've got to come by way of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, but by Jesus. He's the only way there. Jesus Christ brings us near or nigh to God. That's that's the recipe right there. Jesus Christ. You got Jesus Christ, you've got salvation. You don't have Jesus Christ, it says in John's third chapter, then you're not saved. You're not saved unless you've got Jesus 
Christ. Now we see, in addition to that, some wonderful, wonderful truths. Now we have had this separation between us and God, which is very unpleasant, but we are separatists, as I clarified last week. We are Baptists, and the Baptist distinctives are B, R-A-P-A-S-I-S, the acrostic up and down, B, Bible, that's the King James Bible in the English language, is our sole authority for faith and practice. R, a regenerated church membership, got to be born again. Uh, A, an autonomous local church government, we're self-ruling. Okay, P, priesthood of the believer, that means we can come directly to God through Christ. S, soul liberty, you're, you're allowed to believe whatever you want to believe. It might cause you not to be a Baptist, but you can believe whatever you want to. Baptists are the only group worldwide that has never forced anybody else to become what we are. It's all of, of your own volition, your own choice. I, immersion and the Lord's Supper are the only two ordinances, and they are local church ordinances. And then the, the last S of B-R-A-P-S-I-S, Brapsis, the Baptist distinctives, is separation. We believe in ethical and personal separation, that is, from the world, the flesh, and the devil. We also believe in ecclesiastical separation, not yoking up together with unbelievers. And our scriptures for separation are 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 to 20, and 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18. These are things that we should memorize. We, we uh, do believe in some divisions, but we, re we reject man-made bigotry and unnecessary walls. Jonah was a bigot. He was biased against Assyrians. He did not want to follow God's call. He went the other direction. He found out the hard way. We do believe in separation, but we do believe in evangelization, and God has given us all that we need to do that. So Jesus Christ is our salvation. Jesus Christ is our hope. And now we read in verse 14, reading down to verse 18, For He is our peace. Say peace. Mark it down. Peace. He is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall a partition between us, that is between Gentiles and Jews. You don't have to become a Jew to get saved. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain, of two, one new man, so making peace. Now we're in the body of Christ. So the peace that is spoken of here, Jesus Christ is our peace, has enabled us to become part of the same spiritual body with those who come from different backgrounds and that he might reconcile please keep that in mind reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross having slain the enmity thereby and came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them which were nigh or near for through him we both have access by one spirit unto the father so we see here, to summarize quickly, just reading it, we're going to explain it in a minute, that Christ, who is our peace, brings us peace. He makes all people as one. He breaks down the barriers between people, people between religious groups. He wipes out all of the restrictions, the rules and so forth. He creates a new man, a new body, and he brings us reconciliation. It's reconciliation by the cross. Tonight I'm speaking on the subject reconciled by the cross. Reconciled 
by the cross. And He brings us access to God. We're going to see more about it in just a moment. Let's pray that God will illuminate our minds, our thought processes as we are going through this and apply the Scripture to ourselves. Father, we pray that we won't be the same when we leave this place tonight. Help us to understand that Jesus is our peace and He breaks down the wall of partition and He gives us access to God and He reconciles us to God. We thank You so much for that and help us now to tell others in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're going to get excited about anything, this is something to get excited about. The fact that we have something even better than what they had in the Old Testament. Now, I have here some notes that I've copied out of a, a great course on the subject of the words of salvation. And there are dozens of words used in the Bible that are terms that are identified with salvation. We need to learn all of these terms and how they relate to one another to see salvation as it truly is in its brilliance, like a great cut stone, a diamond with many different facets shining. And that's part of this when we're looking at reconciliation. Reconciliation along with redemption. Reconciliation along with imputation. We need to understand how they all work together. In the Old Testament, reconciliation has to do with the atonement. So wherever you find it in the Old Testament, reconciled or reconciliation. Now write this in the front of your Bible. When you find reconciliation in the Old Testament, it has to do with atonement. Now atonement is an important concept because atonement is the covering of our sin. God's got us covered, you see. And in the Old Testament, that was a covering. Now what we have in the New Testament is much more than atonement. It's atonement plus. When we get saved, now in this age of grace, this church age, our sins aren't just covered. They're separated from us. They're taken away from us as far as the east is from the west. Old Testament saints had to deal with uh, the memory of what they had done, the despair, the guilt, as we've sung tonight. But we who are saved now since Christ have something much better than that. The reconciliation that is ours by the cross not only takes away the debt, it's not only paid in full, past, present, and future. In terms of our justification, in terms of our salvation, also our guilt and despair, our memory of the sin is taken away. And only when the devil reminds us of our past does it ever come up. We don't have to think about our past ever again. We don't have to keep beating ourselves up. That is a, a holdover from ritualistic false religion where our past becomes uh, like a, a chain that we drag behind us. We're always feeling guilty about what we did and how lowly we are and how terrible that is. Well, we are depraved, horrible sinners without Christ, but in Christ we're new creatures. And all of that has been paid for and the past is gone as far as the debt and the despair and uh, the death and, and the, 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 the dragging down of it, the, the down, the demeaning part of it. It's all gone. When the devil reminds you of your past, you remind the devil of his future. He's going to the lake of fire. That's where his address is going to be for all eternity. And praise God for that. Aren't you glad? 
that our sins are under the blood. They're gone as far as the east is from the west, as separate as far away as they can possibly be, and praise God for that. So in the New Testament, this concept of reconciliation is far beyond the concept in the Old Testament. It's not just atonement, it's atonement plus. When we are reconciled, it means, let me give you the definition, reconciliation is that work of God through the death of Christ which effects in the believer a thorough change toward God from enmity and aversion to love and trust. It changes everything in us. It's a total change that takes place. Now this is in terms of our justification. This is, this is who we are now. We're now a new creature in Christ. A person who is unsaved is going to be constantly blaming God for their condition, even for their sin, even for things that go wrong, consequences of their sin. They will blame God. Why is God picking on me? Why is God doing this to me in particular? I don't deserve this. I'm as good as my neighbor. I'm as good as the guy down the street. I'm better than that drunk over there, etc. That's what people do. Religiously lost people do this all the time. And God is to blame somehow in their thinking. But that's wrong. When we get saved, we see correctly. We get our vision corrected to perfect 2020 vision. And reconciliation enables us to have a thorough change. Put it down. A thorough change toward God. We no longer blame God. No more enmity. No more aversion to God or His Word or to the way God works or His plan for us. Instead, it is love and trust uh, embodied in what we've been teaching in Sunday school uh, with the life of Job. He said, uh, I will trust, though He slay me, yet will I trust Him. Job chapter 13, though He slay me, yet will I trust Him. Think about that. Reconciliation is the manward effect of the death of Christ in our behalf. So that's what happens. That's the manward effect. Propitiation is the satisfaction of the holy requirements of God. When Jesus Christ takes our place, He dies on the cross, sheds His blood, suffers, dies. And that satisfies the judicial requirements, the law requirements of God. So God's requirements are satisfied. Reconciliation is when our change takes place inwardly because of salvation. We now have that reconciliation. One of the hardest things to do is to be in a room with somebody that you've got a, a, a beef against, a grudge against. That's why some people, they drop out of church because they've got a beef with somebody in the church. They, they don't like you know, somebody sits in another part of the church, they won't even look at them, won't shake hands with them. Eventually they quit going to church altogether because they haven't been reconciled. The two of them need to come to the altar and together they need to put it under the blood and then guess what? They can be in the same room together. They can go soul winning together. They can, they can work on the same projects together. They can, be, uh, they can be team teachers in a Sunday school class. You see what I'm saying? They can work together. But until it's reconciled, they can't even stand to be around each other. There is a division between man and God. God is perfectly holy and righteous, and man is totally depraved and sinful. And who will bring us back to God? It'll be Jesus Christ. His death, His passion, His burial, His resurrection, all of that 
brings us back to God and reconciles us. Now, never, never, never is God reconciled in the biblical sense. It doesn't work that way because God doesn't have anything to make right. It has to do, it has to do with humanity and the fact that we need to make it right. So we have a number of places in the New Testament where we have this concept. For example, let's go over to Romans chapter 5 for just a moment. The book of Romans. And right along in the same area where the Roman road travels, the Roman road travels Romans 5, 5, 8 and 5, 12, but in between, in verse number 10, Romans 5, verse 10, For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled we shall be saved by His life. So reconciled. Think we were changed thoroughly by the death of His Son. Much more being reconciled, changed thoroughly, we shall be saved by His life. That's a wonderful thought. That's a wonderful thought. As you think of reconciliation, it has to do with a thorough and complete change. Not holding anything back, but allowing God to have His complete way. So He is our peace, we read in verse 14. Christ brings us peace when we realize that He died for us and He offers us deliverance. Deliverance. Deliverance, of course, is from the bondage of sin and death. The bondage. Sin and death held us. But guess who broke those chains? Jesus Christ did. Christ, then beyond that, brings us a deeper sense of peace when He gives us that realization of daily power. It works on a daily basis. The blood of Jesus Christ gives us power to succeed. Power to, uh, to be better and to do right. Praise the Lord. And there's still a deeper sense of peace when we understand that He brought perfect love and unity and there should be no division between uh, those who are of like faith and practice. We should not be divided. There should never be a fleshly division between us and even lost sinners. We realize, of course, that they aren't reconciled to God yet. They haven't been saved. They're still lost and undone and on their way to hell. But on a human level, we shouldn't divide ourselves from them when we have an opportunity to witness to them and uh, speak a good word about Jesus to them. We don't want to be like Jonah was. We don't want to be bigots when it comes to lost people because they're just like we were before we got saved. The only difference is uh, they're lost, still a lost sinner and we're saved sinners. That's the difference. Amen. And we become new creatures in Christ. Dr. Dave Sorensen, who went to Bible college, was a little uh, bit ahead of me at the Bible college where I attended, has said, Jesus Christ has become the focal point of reconciliation between Jew and Gentile. He has broken down the middle wall of partition between them. The final uh, phrase has evident symbolism. In the temple at Jerusalem, there was a wall in the temple court partitioning off the area in which Gentiles were allowed. Paul here alludes by way of this metaphor to how Christ has eliminated the barrier between Jew and Gentile. I don't know how many of you knew that, 
done a little bit of, little bit of study about that, but uh, there, there was a division, uh, a number of divisions between the different individuals in the Old Testament temple. In the Old Testament temple, there were a series of walls. There was an outer wall, and then there's the outer court. So you come inside the outer wall, there's the outer court, and then there is a wall that keeps out uh, everybody except those that go into the next area. And there was an area for the, the Gentiles only. And they couldn't go any further. Than, they were walled out. They were partitioned. And there was another wall. And it, uh, it allowed for women uh, who were coming but not offering sacrifices. And then there was uh, a wall inside which those who were bringing sacrifices could come. And then there was a wall just for the priests who would be offering the sacrifice. So there was this series of all these partitions and walls. Now they had a function in the Old Testament. That was to keep people separate that were, you know, by law, separated one from another. But Jesus Christ has broken down those walls of partition. They no longer exist. And in Christ, we have direct access. So that's what the Scripture is saying at the end uh, of our Scripture reading tonight. We have access because of Jesus Christ. We, we don't have to be left outside. In Galatians chapter 3, in verse 28, mark this down. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. Now, there have been people who have read that and said, what? And they've scratched their head because after you've said those words, Jews are still Jews and Gentiles are still Gentiles. Your mom and dad are still the same people. Your bloodline's still the same. Not only that, uh, a slave or a servant would still be a slave or a servant and a free man or woman would still be free. And then when it says neither male nor female, that really blows people's minds because after it has been said, there are still men and there are still women. And that's the way God designed it. So what does the scripture in Galatians chapter 3 refer to? The very same thing that we're talking about tonight. Before you walked in this room tonight, many of you did not realize there were a series of walls in that Old Testament temple that divided each group from one another. But that is the symbolism or the metaphor that's being used to show that Jesus Christ has broken down. He's abolished the walls between all those who come to God through Himself, through Christ. If you come to God through Christ, now you are still... Uh, Alex, uh, Alejandro, where are you from originally? Honduras. So you're from Honduras, you're Honduran in background, and your parents Honduran, correct? Okay, very good. All right. Uh, Gabe, way back, I know your parents came to America, but where did they come from? Okay, Puerto Rico. From Holland, okay. Now, Alejandro and Gabe, you can no more deny that than you could deny that you're alive and breathing. You are here because of your background. That doesn't, that doesn't cease to be. But the fact that you are Honduran and the fact that you are 
Puerto Rican and Dutch doesn't divide you. Because whereas before that might have been an issue, it's not an issue because you're both in Christ. You are both saved. All right? Sweetheart, I know we're married, but uh, I'm male. You're female. And uh, uh, I believe there ought to be women's sports, don't get mad, and women's locker rooms that men can't access. And I believe that there are men's sports and locker rooms that women can't access. Can I get an amen? I know that's old-fashioned. I could probably be hung for that, but that, that's, that's it. Now, that does not separate us, even though she is a woman and I am a man, that does not separate us. We are in Christ. The differences makes no difference. I don't know if there are any people of Jewish extraction. I may have a drop or two of Hebrew blood in me. I don't know. But uh, uh, if a person out there comes from a Jewish background and uh, many others are Gentiles, you can't deny that you are from a Jewish background. You can't deny that you're from a Gentile background. But you're not separated if you come to God through Christ. You are one. That's what the Scripture is referring to here. We can have peace. There should be not forced, but voluntary blending of believers in situations such as local churches. I don't believe in forced blending or forced restrictions, either one. It should be voluntary. You go to church where the Holy Spirit directs you to go to church. Come on now. Amen? Understand what I'm saying? Uh, I, I'm, I'm glad our church is so blended. I can say this. I can say it openly. It may be that some of those out there that are listening or viewing go to a church at times that is all of one basic background, very homogenous. We are, we are not. We have many different backgrounds represented under one umbrella, under one roof. We didn't force that to happen. We didn't restrict that from happening. We allow people to be the Holy Spirit to come and worship. Can I get an amen on that? That's not a white church or a black church or a Hispanic church or an Asian church or whatever brand of church you want to talk about. That is a New Testament church. Come on now. Amen. Amen. All right. I know I'm hitting on eight cylinders tonight. Amen. And that's how many I got. All right. Jesus Christ has broken down the wall of partition. I mentioned Dr. A.V. Henderson last week, and I neglected to mention in my conversation with him years ago, seated across the desk from him, and it was in Arlington, Texas. And he was the interim pastor of a church where I was speaking he and I talked about the blood of Jesus Christ. And he had mentioned that he had uh, caught, he was not in attendance when I preached at a great meeting in Wichita, Kansas, some years before that. Uh, but he had caught the, the uh, recorded message on the blood of Jesus Christ. And he said, Brother Winnegar, he didn't say I was a great preacher, it was a great message. He said, I'm so glad that we still have preachers who preach on the blood of Jesus Christ. Just think, he said, just think about all the different things that the blood of Jesus Christ does. 
And we started talking about that. I was in his office for about 45, 50 minutes. And so we started talking. And the, the lion's share of the time that A.V. Henderson and I were together, we just rejoiced in all the different truths in the Word of God that have to do with the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ. Not, not human effort, not religion, not good works. None of those things can bring us to God. The distance that separates us from God, uh, the barrier that we could not personally scale, they've all been removed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Who knows what Hebrews 9.22 says. Without shedding of blood, there is no, what? Remission. You don't get your record cleared without the shedding of blood. References to the blood of Christ are so numerous in the Bible, and yet we often overlook them. I was reading today in a book about my friend now in heaven, Dr. Lester Roloff. I had a chance to hear him on a number of occasions. He's still on the radio. You can still hear him, but uh, he's gone to heaven back in the 1980s. Uh, he was on board his little plane that he was flying. They went up uh, they tried to make their way up through some bad weather. Windshear took off the wings, and he and, and three of his staff members were killed instantly when they, they started plummeting toward earth. And uh, it was a great loss to the fundamental Bible-believing, old-time, old-paths preaching world when Lester Roloff went to glory. It was heaven's gain, of course. And, uh, uh, but I was reading about Lester Roloff, who always used to preach or mention in his preaching the blood of Jesus Christ. There was hardly ever a time when he didn't get to the blood. He'd be preaching and sometime or other during that 45-minute or 55-minute 50, stretch that he was preaching sometime longer, he'd be preaching away just, I mean, just. You talk about preaching and preaching the paint off the walls. He'd come to the blood somewhere, some, somehow. He'd talk about if he was talking about sin, he'd say, the only way you can get that stain gone is with the blood of Jesus Christ. He could really, really preach it. And we thank God for the opportunity all these years to preach the blood and not leave it out. I feel sorry for those folks who are such big fans of the, the preacher out there in Southern California who says that the blood is only symbolic, that it was the death of Christ that saved. No, it's the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanseth from all sin. That preacher out there says that, well, you know, the blood of Jesus actually ran into the cross and ran into the ground and dissolved. My Bible says that that blood was in heaven speaking better things than that of Abel. So the blood of Jesus Christ is still red. It's viable. It's in heaven. It's on the mercy seat, crying out, mercy, 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 mercy for you and for me. As long as the blood of Jesus Christ is viable, our salvation is secure. And that blood will never, ever lose its power like Andre Crouch's song says. Amen. Amen. We have real peace through this work of Jesus Christ. It's difficult to imagine the spiritual confusion and bewilderment of those Gentiles outside of Christ. Yet it was their daily environment. In Christ, however, they suddenly experienced the most divine and serene peace imaginable. Hostilities had ended and calm had come. Those are the words Dr. Henderson. He is our peace. That's what it says in verse 14. Christ Himself. We have Him, so we have peace. We enjoy peace with God. Romans 5.1. 1 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have the peace of God, Philippians 4, 7. We abide in Christ and we seek to walk in the Spirit and we experience that serenity, that peace in the person of Jesus Christ. Nothing better than that. The word peace is used three times in this short portion of our study. Just, I mean, it's uh, the peace offering. We think about that. We think about all the different offerings. The peace offering in particular uh, had to be a, a perfect offering. The, the offering of Jesus Christ was a perfect offering without blemish, as it says in the book of Leviticus. It was an offering made by fire unto Jehovah. And of course, Jesus Christ experienced the wrath of God for us. Because He experienced the wrath, we won't have to go through the wrath. Aren't you glad for that? We won't have to go through the wrath in the tribulation. We won't have to go through the wrath in hell. It's all been taken for us by Jesus Christ. And so when Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, He was talking about His own presence. Do you get it? His own presence. Do you have Jesus? Then you've got the potential for that presence of peace. Peace in your life. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Go over to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And our study will take us there sometime in the future. But Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 20 speaks of the one, the one Jesus Christ in Him should all the fullness of, of God, the Godhead dwell. And having, verse 20, having made peace through the blood of His cross, by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself, by Him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometime, once upon a time, alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath He reconciled. He's reconciled us because of what He did, because of what He finished. Christ brings us together as one. And Christ brings peace by breaking down all the barriers, the court of the Gentiles versus the court of the Jews and the court of the women and the court. All that's gone. We're all one in Jesus Christ. And He brings peace by wiping out the enmity of the law that was against us. That's been, that's been washed away by the blood. All of the account was settled long ago. And then Christ brings peace by creating a new body, a new man. And Jesus Christ is the head of it. And we are the body parts of the new man. He promised a new creation and we are part of that. He causes each one of us to be made brand new. That's born again regenerated, born from above, born from heaven. And we are brand new all over again. We start out. We have a new life. We get a new page. We, it's unmarked. Praise God. We have a new beginning. And uh, the, the heart and the mind is clean. And think of the great potential that we have in Jesus Christ because all things, He makes all things brand new. Would you bow your head and close your eyes, please? Every head bowed and every eye closed. And Calvary does cover it all. And how many of you tonight are so glad that Calvary covers it all? Say amen. Amen. If God spoke to your heart about anything uh, that you'd like to pray about, I want you to come in just a moment. But 
Even prior to that, let me say this, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I want you to, from your heart, consider the claims of Christ and call upon the name of the Lord right now. With head bowed and eyes closed, pray something like this. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. And right now I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior. Please take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. If you prayed that prayer and meant it, slip your hand up high. Let's stand to our feet. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation. Mm -hmm.